The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the eye, the wall of the eye of Hurricane Florence has already touched land in the Carolinas. Massive flooding, water rescues already underway, and massive power outages. Florence is here. Hey, and so are we on a Friday. On a Friday, actually, September 15, it is the Bill Press Show Hello, hello, everybody. Great to see you today, and thank you so much for joining us here. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill with all the news of the day. We're tracking Hurricane Florence, of course, and uh, it's a relief to know that not as many people died in Puerto Rico as we thought. Uh, Donald Trump's been down there doing the count. He only comes up with six even though the government of Puerto Rico says it was closer to 3,000. Meanwhile, still more controversy over the nomination of uh, Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. That vote delayed uh, by Democrats on the committee for one week, uh, and now a mysterious letter uh, from Senator Dianne Feinstein. She said it's so serious about Brett Kavanaugh an accusation against him that she has sent it to the Justice Department and the FBI for consideration. We'll see what happens. And just this weekend before the second Paul Manafort trial gets underway, Paul Manafort finally may be making a deal with Robert Mueller, the special counsel, and he knows everything. (laughs) Mueller does and Manafort does. So, so much to talk about before we uh, let you go into the weekend. Uh, Send us your comments on Twitter so we know what you're thinking about the news of the day on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We'll get right into it, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, so I I know it's going to be a very tough race in Texas between Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke, but... Beto O'Rourke is about to get some very serious help. Willie Nelson announced that he is going to play a concert at a September 29th rally for Beto O'Rourke. And he made a point to say this is the first time he has ever endorsed a political candidate. He's he, Willie Nelson stays out of politics for the most part. I, 
I've seen him at a Dem Democratic National Convention. Remember, we saw him, Peter, somewhere. I've never for Obama. seen him. I didn't see him at a convention. I did. You, yeah, but yeah, it, not, I did. Not when and, I was, and, and I'll, I'll tell you one thing: it wasn't a Republican convention. So, anyhow, I take. Listen, I'm glad he's doing it for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not, it, I don't mean to pick. To pick there, he, here's just here's what here's what he said when he put out the statement. It will be the first public concert he has ever held for a political candidate. Uh, he says, "Quote: yep. Be Beto embodies what is special about Texas, an energy and an integrity that is completely genuine." End quote. Now, the problem, of course, here is. There are a lot of Willie Nelson fans who are Republicans, and so people have flooded his Facebook page to say they're never going to listen to his music again. Blah blah blah. I That's don't. BS. I don't think that they're going to give up Willie Nelson just because uh, no. he's supporting. And Dr. by the way, Roy. appearing at a convention is different from doing a concert for a yes. candidate who is running. Yes. I see that. I just hope he takes Kinky Friedman with him. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yes. Our buddy Kinky. Yeah, yeah, they're buddies, so yeah. you know that that could very well happen. Boy, let's also smoke around that arena. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> also, we've talked about Nike and their Colin Kaepernick uh, ad uh, that they put out for the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign, and we talked about how the Colin Kaepernick jersey sold out and how everybody's yeah. making yeah. a lot yeah. of money off of this. Well, yesterday Nike stock closed. At $83.47, that is an all-time high for Nike, which is arguably one of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, that's an all-time high for them. Again, $83.47. Uh, Just, yeah. So that, That's great. That's such a smart thing to do. Just came back from New York City. Times Square, the most dominant feature of Times Square right now is Colin Kaepernick. Nice. Like 10 stories high. Excellent. Looming over Times Square. Yes, yes, yes. This is the Bill Press Show. Hurricane Florence has arrived, at least the, uh, the initial of it, the beginning of the eye, the wall of the eye, has already hit the coast of the Carolinas. We'll keep you up to date on that on this Friday. Hello, everybody. Friday, September 14, The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. And thanks so much for uh, being with us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital which looks like it's going to uh, escape the brunt of the storm. Uh, the direction of Florence keeps changing uh, so ever so slightly. And so instead of more wet weather coming north, it looks like more wet weather may be going south. At any rate, it's already pretty serious down there. It's good to see you today wherever you have to be, happen to be in this great land of ours uh, on the West Coast uh, in the Mount Rocky Mountains, in the plains, uh, in the deep south, or here in the northeast, or the mid-Atlantic, we join you and everywhere we can, everywhere you are, we are there with you online, on the radio, and on television, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the radio out in Indianapolis, uh, or Indiana, statewide on Indiana Talks, uh, and also, of course, in the greater Chicago area, we are always there with you to start your day on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Lots and lots to talk about. Yes, indeed, Florence has hit. Water rescue is already underway. 
Donald Trump says, no, the Democrats made it up. 3,000 people didn't die in Puerto Rico. There's Democrats trying to make me look bad. Brett Kavanaugh may have a rockier time than we thought. Some emails come out proving that he lied about not only about Roe v. Wade, but about a very controversial judicial nomination and a mystery secret letter. Senator Feinstein has, uh, well, she didn't unveil the letter, but the existence of the letter raises all kinds of questions. And wouldn't you know it, the head of FEMA is the latest member of the Trump administration to get into some ethical problems by lining his own pockets with taxpayer dollars. Oh, my God. Yes, indeed. So, again, we want to hear from you about your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, I don't know what you saw yesterday, but, um, uh, well, they didn't have any video of this, actually. But how did the president spend his day yesterday? Uh, well, he was getting ready for Florence. He spent a lot of time practicing uh, down at the White House, getting ready for Florence. He was practicing throwing paper towels. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. understand. Mr. They Helpful. Up, they set up a, in, in a room there in the White House Theater and had, had a big supply of paper towels so he could practice practice his aim because, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what he did in, uh, for Hurricane Maria down in Puerto Rico. That was his contribution. Uh, but Florence has arrived. The reports this morning... Already, but the flooding I saw last night, I was surprised that this far ahead of the storm last night, there was already serious flooding, already water going through homes in in the coastal areas of North Carolina, Uh, streets already flooded, water rescues are already underway, many cities without power now, the wind has already hit as well. Uh, So it, uh, it has started and the Eye of the storm is expected to hit landfall within hours uh, in South Carolina and North Carolina. Here's just one a little look from a reporter from uh, at a local television station down down in New Bern, North Carolina. Julia Wilson reporting. This is an area that it could experience mass storm surge, anywhere from 7 to 11 feet. That's what we're keeping our eye on. I had the opportunity to speak with someone uh, here with New Bern, a city official, and they're telling me there is mass power outages, and I can attest to that. We haven't seen a stoplight, one that has started working yet. And so it may not be, she may not be a Category 5 anymore. Right now, listed as about a Category 2, and usually they do weaken once they hit landfall. Down, down to 1 now, is that right? Yeah, it's yeah. down to a Category 1. And Category 2 winds are 100 miles an hour, so maybe a little less than that with a Category 1. Uh, but still, nothing to uh, you know to, to relax about I, I at all. I was going to say, one of the things, I think a lot of people hear Category 1 and they sort of get lulled into this oh, false yeah, sense right. of security. Category 1 doesn't sound so bad, you know, but the reality is, again, this is such a gigantic storm. It's not like a Category 1 hurricane that we've seen in years past where it's smaller and the winds are still pretty bad, but it blows over pretty quickly. I mean, you're looking at probably two to three days of nonstop torrential rain. Right. Yeah, they're talking about... So it's about, not the wind that's going to be a problem, it's going to yeah. be the flooding. And as the mayor of North Carolina told us yesterday, we're talking of rain in feet, not in inches. And and that's that's what they really fear most is the flooding and the water damage. Um and by, by, so, by the way, the question is always raised, um, but maybe not enough, about the effect of climate change. Can we say that Hurricane Florence or Hurricane Maria and all the rest of these are caused by climate change? No, you can't say that. But you can certainly say that their ferocity, their strength, their frequency is 
affected by and made worse by climate change. New York Times yesterday had an excellent article on that very point. They point out that storms only form in ocean waters that are at least 80 degrees Fahrenheit to a depth of at least 165 feet, which is why storms occur this time of the year because the ocean has warmed up by that time. However, because of climate change, of course, the world's oceans are warmer than ever, which means that while climate change did not necessarily create Hurricane Harvey last year or Hurricane Florence this time. Both of them are fueled by warmer than average waters. Climate change can also make hurricanes wetter. Air temperatures are warmer, and basic physics tells us that the warmer air can hold more moisture. And all climate change also seems to stall these storms so they stay in place longer. So how wet they are, how severe they are, how frequent they are, uh, how long they stay around, all impacted by climate change. So this is climate change in real life that we're seeing. We saw it last year with Harvey and Maria. We see this year already now with Hurricane Florence. That Take it seriously, people. Yeah, I mean, you that, that's, that's exactly it, right? That's something yeah. that I learned at a very yeah. young age. Warm water <laughs> is like fertilizer. For a hurricane, and as you mentioned, that yeah. you know that's why they're called tropical storms, tropical depressions. They thrive in those tropical conditions, and when you have the waters that are becoming tropical conditions, yes, and more and more tropical and hotter, it's exactly right. And that's why. I, and by the way, there's something else they are building on top of yeah. another impact of climate change, which is the rising sea levels. Also, that. So you start out. With the tide, the waters being higher than they normally were, and even if that's only a few inches, right, that that's enough to give you more momentum. So you know, and and the uh, other thing is, when you look at the most destructive hurricanes that we've seen from generations past, right? Like I always mention Hugo because that's the one that I lived through. Uh, that was thirty years ago. A couple years after that, Hurricane Andrew came along. Devastating storms, absolutely devastating. But by comparison in size. They're, they're tiny in terms of how big the actual oh, right. storms are, yes. right? Like yes. Hugo was not, was a very strong and powerful storm. Same thing with Andrew. But they were not these gigantic systems like Superstorm Sandy that hit uh, a couple of years ago or Harvey or now Florence. You know, again, whether the, the winds are going to be a problem for Florence, we'll see, right? It doesn't look like that's going to be the big problem. The big problem seems that it is a storm that is about 400 miles in diameter. Yeah, right. And it's just a constant drenching all across that storm. Huge, 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 yes. And meanwhile, the president, but by the way, just, just as we get into this, what the president said yesterday about, about Puerto Rico, which is so disgusting, Um you know, the last time I went down to a briefing at the White House, there aren't that many briefings anymore, so I don't get that get there as often. But I walked in for the briefing, and I knew the president, I didn't expect to see him, but I knew he was in town. He wasn't out of town. And I noticed that for the first time when I went into the White House, there was, during the day, there was not a Marine standing out in front of the West Wing. And I said to this person I was walking from the guardhouse uh, into the briefing room with, um, boy, that's strange. I know the president's here. Where's the Marine? You know, there's always a Marine right station right outside the door of the West Wing. Well, I realize now why, because it happened again yesterday, and 
one of the papers put up a picture of this, the West Wing, with no Marine out front. Why? Because Donald Trump is not in the Oval Office. He's watching television in the mansion. So I didn't realize that the Marine is there when the president is on the job, is in the West Wing, is in the Oval Office, or at some in the, in the West Wing do, doing business. No, but when he's over watching Fox and tweeting executive time, executive time yeah. the Marine is not out front, right? Oh, my God. So, yeah, that that's, that's, tells a lot. And by the way, this was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Well, for this, for the briefing. What a schedule. It, it was not 8 o'clock in the morning where you might understand. It. I mean, George Bush would have been on the job. Barack Obama would have been on the job, but not, not Donald Trump. No, even that late. So what does he do yesterday while we're all talking about getting ready for Hurricane Florence, looking ahead, making sure we're all, everything's in place. FEMA's got everything ready to help the people of the North and South Carolina. Donald Trump is still focused on last year and Hurricane Maria and the job that he did on Puerto Rico. He said um, the day before, remember, um, you talked about this the last time I was with you, I was up in New York yesterday, uh, that he deserved an A-plus for the job that he did in Puerto Rico. Several people pointed out when 3,000 people die, Mr. President, uh, that's not exactly an A-plus. So he comes out yesterday and challenges the figure of 3,000 people dying, which he says, of course, is Phony. Uh, you want to read these tweets or me? You go oh, ahead. No, Joe, no, if you, you got them, go you, for it. All right, here, it, yeah. here. I got them right yeah. here. Uh, two of them, back to back. back two of them, to back, back to back. Two tweets about uh, Hurricane Maria. He says, 3,000 people did not die in the two hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from 6 to 18 deaths. They didn't know anything. There was no communications at that time on the island. There was no power, no water. No electricity, no commu- no phone, no communication. How did they know? They didn't know. Six to 18 deaths yeah, is six all. To I mean, it's it's yeah. crazy. Uh, he goes on. He says, as time went uh, by, it did not go up by much. Then, a long time later, they started report. They started to report really large numbers, like 3,000. Then the next, yeah. then, then the then next goes tweet. Up to the next tweet and says, "This was done by the Democrats in <laughs> order to make me look as bad as possible when I was successfully raising billions of dollars to help rebuild Puerto Rico, <laughs> which is news to everybody." Uh, he, then he goes on, "If a person died for any reason, like old age, just add them onto the list. Bad politics. I love Puerto Rico." Mm-hmm. Yeah. How low can Donald Trump go? We haven't seen we haven't seen anything yet. I mean, every time you think he can't go any lower, he does. And he certainly did yesterday. This is just outrageous. And by the way, I know you know, but let's just remember. This 3000 number came about a month ago. 29 2975 to be exact. It came as a result of a study conducted for a year, almost a year by George Washington University here in Washington, D.C. They stand by their numbers, of course. They went down to Puerto Rico working with government officials in Puerto Rico. It took them, by the way, why did it take so long? It took them so long because even today, Puerto Rico hasn't recovered totally from Hurricane Maria. But there were areas of the island people couldn't get to. They didn't know how many had died. 
But George Washington University calculated how many would die anyway, normally, during that time. And then they examined every one of these reported deaths and, and identified those which were directly storm-related. Maybe they didn't die on the spot, meaning like a tree fell over and hit them right on the spot while the hurricane was right there. But so many died because no power, no oxygen, I mean, no kidney dialysis. You can go on and on. All storm-related deaths. Plus, they didn't have any safe drinking water for months and months. No electricity. So 2,975, an official study out by George Washington University. And Donald Trump just says, no, 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 no. It was only about six people that died. And the Democrats just made this number up. Yeah. Boy, isn't that nice? Isn't that convenient? Well, Lyndon Johnson could have said 50,000 people didn't die in Vietnam. No. Republicans made that up to make me look bad. And you know, what would we have done for Lyndon Johnson? What would we have said about Lyndon Johnson at the time? This is just outrageous. You would think that every single Republican in Congress would stand up and say, no, 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 come on, Mr. President, you can't make up this crap like this and expect us to believe it. But, oh, no. Instead, you got the suck-ups like Lindsey Graham yesterday, Lindsey Graham, defending Donald Trump. I'd like to find out how many people actually died from the hurricane. That's not <laughs> a bad question to ask. Is it 16 or is it 3,000? And what led to their deaths and what can we do better? Yeah, that question has been asked, Lindsey Graham, and answered by, by scientists from George Washington University. What do you know, right? Oh, well, Lindsey said, I can't believe my new best friend forever, Donald Trump, would do anything like this because he's such so, so good at hurricanes. The president has been really good when it comes to helping South Carolina and North Carolina and Georgia. Uh, I don't buy the idea that president is indifferent to our friends in Puerto Rico. Mm, by then. Yeah. You know what? He has become the biggest sellout, the biggest suck-up in U.S. history. I, I, you've heard me say before when John McCain died, I, I told the story, but when I was at, at CNN doing Crossfire, I would always get the question, is there anybody at all, you've, you've interviewed them all, you, you know them all. Are there any of these politicians, any one of them, Republican or Democrat, that you really respect? And I'd always say automatically, John McCain. So I was giving a talk Monday here in Washington, D.C., and I got that question from the audience again. Is there any one of these people that you really respect? And I said, you know what? That's an interesting question because up until a month ago, I would have said automatically what I've always said. John McCain, not that I always agreed with him, and there's a lot of John McCain to criticize, as we know, but John McCain above all. So I told this person at Monday at the speech, I said, you know, I don't know the answer to that today, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you who it's not. <laughs> it's not Lindsey Graham. And the whole place applauded, right? Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, no, he's just been, he has gone from one of the, the, the most um, sound and meaningful and critics of Donald Trump during the during the campaign and during the early months of presidency to right now being anybody who'll defend anything Donald Trump does. Why? I guess does he need somebody? He's so insecure that he needs somebody he can, you know, hitch his wagon to. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I'll tell you who wasn't happy with what the what the president said. Uh, the mayor of Santa Cruz, 
course, Donald Trump's attacks her all the time. Mayor Carmen Yulin Cruz, she said, hey, you know, you don't you don't have to lie about doing a good job when you really did do a good job and people know it. This thing about the Democrats <laughs> are making him look, look bad. You know, no one makes you look bad if it's so evident that you did a good job. Amen. Right. Just disgusting. Hey, this is this is sort of how Trump operates because even yesterday, right? Because she did come out and yeah, and she said yeah. something. Uh, Mayor Cruz said something uh, 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 about this, and they again turned it into a petty fight with a mayor in Puerto Rico, and it's yeah. kind of like this is Donald Trump. This is the this is the personification of who Donald Trump is: a lying through his teeth to make himself look better. And then trying to put the blame on somebody else. Right. That's just who he is. And yeah, I will so. say, like, he has what and we've talked about his true skill for so long. One of his true skills has been to find that just that little ray of mm-hmm. truth that he can grab onto mm-hmm. to, to make his story not complete garbage. Right. Yeah. But with this, this is just made up out of I thin air. Say, I don't see any thin sort of, air. Uh, there is no there is no little glimmer of truth here uh, whatsoever. whatsoever. Uh, and by the way, uh, while also Donald Trump is reigniting the feud with Puerto Rico, FEMA has a little cloud over its head as well because its director, Brock Long, turns out to be just the latest member of the uh, Trump administration who has some pretty serious ethical problems. He has been called on the carpet by the Secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, on a couple of fronts. One is because apparently he's from North Carolina that he spends so much time down in North Carolina that they seldom see him around FEMA. And everybody's been saying, I thought we had a director. Like, where is he? Uh, Extended absences from the office, not just vacates, just doesn't show up. And uh, then it turns out that on these trips to North Carolina, he was using official uh, vehicles uh, for personal travel including a couple of big black SUVs with the security detention. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong? Has so, he not learned anything? No. So this is in uh, in line with Tom Price and Ben Carson and Scott Pruitt, of course, and David Shulkin. At, uh, Brian Zinke. And Brian Zinke and Steve Mnuchin. They're the ones that just pop into my head, all of whom uh, stealing money from taxpayers to, uh, to feather their own nest. Um, the latest. Yeah. So... Maybe Brock Long won't be around as long. He may not have to deal with Hurricane Florence because he may not even be on the job by the end of the week. Who knows? Uh, On the related front, big news this morning could happen as early as today. We have been asking, why is Paul Manafort holding out? I mean, Michael Flynn is cooperating. George Papadopoulos is cooperating. Michael Cohen is cooperating with the special counsel. Why, uh, Rick Gates, of course, Paul Manafort's deputy. What's up with Ma- Paul Manafort? Reports this morning um, that Paul Manafort is very close to making a deal, to reaching a plea deal with Robert Mueller, uh, because I think he sees he's already found, been convicted on eight counts. He is up in a new trial uh, here in Washington, D.C., on charges, seven counts of charges related to his lobbying activity uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, and um, that ju- that trial is to start next week. Jury selection starts on Monday. 
Uh, and maybe Manafort and his lawyers have finally seen uh, that they're going to lose this one too. Chances are, and that's going to mean who, what, 30, 35, who knows uh, how many years in prison, ending his life in prison, which Paul Manafort doesn't want to do. So reportedly, he's close to a deal and could reach a deal by today to avoid this trial starting on any on, on Monday. Now, they've been close to a deal before, didn't make it, so this may or may not happen, but if it does, that's the big fish. That's the kingpin for Robert Mueller because nobody knows more about in his role, and we're not talking about his role as a lobbyist for Ukraine, but in his role as campaign manager, campaign chairman, I'm sorry, for Donald Trump, he certainly knew about any connections any between the Trump campaign and Russian authorities or any meetings or any conversations or anything that Mueller is looking into in terms of either collusion or obstruction of justice. Uh, hey, a, new, a big another primary yesterday up in New York State, of course. Uh, it was uh, Andrew Cuomo, governor, seeking his third term uh, up against Cynthia Nixon, actress and political activist. Uh, it uh, turned out kind of the way we all expected to be, pretty one-sided, pretty lopsided. Andrew Cuomo trouncing her 65% to 35%, the last numbers I saw uh, Cynthia Nixon, however, saying it ain't over yet, folks. This race for the Democratic nomination may be over, but the fight for the soul of the Democratic Party is just beginning. Yes, indeed. Also up there uh, in uh, New York State, uh, Tish James, a real new rising star, very much in the mold of Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez, uh, African-American woman will uh, won the Democratic primary for attorney general uh, and will most likely be the next attorney general of the state of New York, which is always a very, very important, uh, important position. Uh, and on the political front, also um, out in Ohio yesterday, President Obama making uh, another stop. You know, he's out there uh, supporting candidates that he has endorsed, particularly in and, and getting the message out that everybody's got to vote. This is important. The first stop, the first blow, if you will, at stopping Donald Trump, Trump must go, as I say in my new book, is to um, get win the House, hopefully win the Senate, and elect Democratic governors nationwide. He was out there in Ohio supporting Richard Cordray, former head of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau uh, for governor of Ohio, President Obama. I need you to come through, but more importantly, the country needs you to come through. Yes, indeed. Good to have him out there on the campaign trail, and uh, he is just uh, getting started. we got lots and lots of political news to talk about and more news uh, of the day. Um, we'll do so coming up with the help of our good friend from NBC News, John Allen. I mean, boy, compared to CBS, NBC News looks almost clean these days. We'll get all the latest from John Allen. Quick break. We'll be right back here on this Friday edition of The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. How about it on a Friday? You you got it. Friday, September 14. Hey, folks. Good to see you today. Thanks so much for joining us. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital uh, and joining you coast to coast 
online, on the radio, and, of course, on television. Uh, don't forget the Bob Woodward book, not the only one out this week, the companion of the uh, Bob Woodward book. He documents uh, the disarray inside the White House. I document the damage that Donald Trump has done so far and why he must be stopped in my new book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one to keep him. Uh, that's why I wasn't here yesterday. I'm flogging the book on television uh, in New York. Check out our website at BillPressShow.com about how you can get a copy and where to get a copy. And by the way, also on our website there, you will see there's a place for you to add your own reasons because there are more than 100 reasons, in my opinion, and yours. Uh, and you can add new ones every day. Just go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Follow the click and uh, put in your name and uh, whatever reason you think. And certainly after yesterday, we can add uh, Donald Trump's lies about Puerto Rico uh, and the number of deaths in Puerto Rico. That's definitely one more. So we're going to change the title. The top 101 <laughs> reasons as of the today. publisher's going to be really thrilled about, uh, about the new book jackets. <laughs> the new book jackets, right. <laughs> get them out. Get them out. a new one every week. Every day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, once a week we update it. Yeah. Joining us in studio, John Allen from NBC News uh, overall, covering particularly the political scene, uh, and a frequent guest host here on the Bill Press Show. Hello, John. Nice to see you. It's good to be here. You have Congratulations. Your, you have your summer uh, tan suit on today, yeah, the Barack Obama special here. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what's up with Donald Trump on this tweet about Puerto Rico yesterday? I mean, is, is there nobody around him who can say, no, don't go there, Mr. President? I mean, Just, I noticed that in the book, in my quick perusal, yeah. that you mentioned the 2,100 or so lies that uh, the Washington Post said that he told in the first 365 days yeah. of uh, of his presidency. Uh, he crossed the 5,000 mark uh, <laughs> recently, within the last couple of days, um, and uh, and it's we're not done with this year yet. So obviously, the the pace is increasing. Um, early September, but what's what's Interesting about, and I use interesting as advisedly, what's interesting about that tweet isn't just that it's a this sort of depth of um, of paranoia in it. Uh, he blames the Democrats f for inflating numbers in an effort to make him look bad in the response to Maria and, and hitting Puerto Rico. And look, we, uh, we know that these studies are estimates of uh, the number of deaths that are, uh, you know, that happened in the aftermath of, of the storm. Uh, and sometimes causality is a little harder to establish than right. others. Yeah. Um, but the idea that 64 people died as a result of that storm, uh, which has been the sort of official line for so long, is ridiculous. He said uh, 6 to 18. Right. I, well, I, that was when he visited, that was the number. But of course, nobody knew no, because they couldn't. They didn't there have were, power or communication. Yeah, there are parts of the island nobody had been to yet. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you sort of throw in this. He said he raised billions of dollars for Puerto Rico. Uh, th there's no private fundraising here. Congress appropriates money. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it's yeah. it's not private money. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention, you know, uh, there's a lot of yeah. things wrong with it, with his, yeah, his I tweets raised yesterday. Billions. Yeah. But the idea that he raised billions of dollars, someone's going to have to push back on him and just, what, what does he mean by that? Because he, I certainly didn't see any fundraisers it's, that he took a part well, in. Well, it's like he raised billions of dollars for the veterans in that one fundraiser. He right. Had, where David Fahrenheit won the Pulitzer Prize yeah. for exposing that lie. Yeah. Well, it was charitable to David Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
No, it's just, but why have to go there? You know, I mean, look, you can say, as we've said, that FEMA, Trump administration, did a good job with Harvey in Texas and in Florida, you know, and then, yeah, they screwed up in Puerto Rico. But, uh, and look, this is, I mean, it's uh, not just a terrible thing for an administration, it's a terrible thing for all of us. You get hit by a catastrophe, right? You get hit by right. a, a natural disaster, uh, one that, you know, can be extremely devastating, not only, as the president has pointed out, uh, not only because of the winds, but also because of the water. He said it was going to be tremendously big and tremendously wet. Tremendously big um, and tremendously wet. Leading to a fair amount of uh, razzing on Twitter. But I think that the American public is willing to accept that the government can't control the initial damage done by uh, a storm or even some of the aftermath damage. I think what they're unwilling to accept is incompetence in providing aid to people who need it. And even if there's competence and there are obstacles, the American public's not really uh, uh, accepting. You know, you, you see you, fellow Americans mm-hmm. in need. You see, you know, whether they live in Texas or Puerto Rico or, or on the Gulf Coast in Louisiana and uh, Mississippi back during Katrina, you see people, you know, sitting on rooftops or, or yeah, trapped yeah. Uh, in flooded homes. And, and you, you want, I pay my taxes. I want the government to do something. Yeah. Uh, to your point, I hadn't thought of it that way, but George W. Bush, I believe, got more negative comments and publicity and will be remembered negatively more for Katrina than for the war in Iraq, probably, right? I think it was a pretty pretty solid one-two punch in the second term of his administration, yeah, yeah. But, but probably so. I mean, I think Katrina sealed a narrative, um, and I th- honestly, I think it, it flows into... I think there's there is a crossover with Iraq. Obviously, they're very different problems. But when you look at a government that, at, at least at the time, uh, we look to be failing in Iraq. Um, you know, we had the, the turnaround with the surge, uh, but it looked like he was incapable of of managing any large scale effort. You know, at least that was the narrative, and the the two things were um, were sort of. Uh, Similar in that way, if if you're a critic of the president, what does what does the news that Paul Manafort um, may be close to making a plea deal with with Robert Mueller mean? I don't know. I I think it could mean uh, that Manafort is suddenly going to talk. I think I feel I feel like that's unlikely after he already got sentenced to. Yeah, you know, I mean, or you know, he's already but been convicted. Losing but... the first trial would make you'd have to believe that my chances of winning the second trial are greatly diminished. He probably thinks his chances of winning the second trial are diminished. The government probably doesn't want to have to go make the case again, right? I mean, there, there yeah, is incentive yeah, on yeah, all sides yeah, here to have a right, plea deal, right. whether or not Manafort is cooperating. So it may mean that he's cooperating. Uh, it may mean the fact that, we, that we've that we heard about this. What does it mean for Donald Trump? Uh, it means uh, it means fewer headlines, actually, right? I mean, if Manafort pleads... Yeah. Right. That's like one day, two days, sure. whatever. But yeah. if there's a trial, that's an extended amount of news coverage of Manafort going down, <laughs> potentially, again. Right. But it also means, doesn't it, that, that Mueller then has more fuel, more assistance in moving right into the Oval Office? Well, I mean, it depends on what there is what? to move in on in yeah. the Oval Office. The, the thing that we but if don't anybody have, knows, Manafort knows, wouldn't you think? There's an argument to be made that we have prima facie evidence of obstruction already, right? Like, and whether or not that that that's something that the Justice Department would prosecute is a, is right. greatly in question. Whether or not it's something con- Congress, Congress would each on, totally up in up in the air. Um, but 
we've watched the president say, I fired uh, Mueller because of the Russia investigation. So there's an argument to be made that that Comey. in and of itself. Comey. I'm sorry, what did yeah, I say? You Mueller. said Mueller. Comey. Uh, there's an argument to be made we've seen that. Uh, what we haven't seen yet, I believe, is any evidence that the president of the United States himself colluded with Russia uh, or conspired with Russia, to use right. the, the more accurate legal term. Um, maybe Bob Mueller has that evidence. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, so that's that remains a mystery. Uh, and I think it's an important question uh, in terms of whether you're able to get into the Oval Office, obviously, but also in terms of what the public perception of is it going to be. And in terms of what the Justice Department decides, you know, people keep citing the Justice Department regulations and saying you can't indict a sitting president because the Justice Department has a legal opinion. Well, of course, the Justice Department's legal opinion would be that you can't yeah. indict a president. The Justice Department works for the president. And it's not just Trump. Any president, right. their yeah. Justice Department would come to that conclusion or their Justice Department would be fired and they would have a new Justice Department. I mean, not the whole department, but obviously the attorney general and uh, whoever ran the, the legal counsel office. The um, there, there's there's some just a final question on that um, in the White House press corps where I sort of hang out time to time right um, there's a, a, a more and more people there have told me that they believe that Donald Trump Jr. Uh, is the next target and under investigation have you picked up anything about that's that? the betting that is it yeah okay I'm not, uh, I'm the, not the only one that's heard it yeah, yeah I mean the so the if the Trump Tower meeting is seen uh, as conspiracy with Russia, right. and I, I still think you need other pieces that we may not have seen yet to to really get there from a legal standpoint. I'm not a lawyer, but I still think there are other pieces. You know, we we have seen Mueller charge Russians with conspiracy to defraud the American people or whatever. Um, I don't know what happened outside that meeting. I assume Mueller has a better idea of what, if anything, did, what – what did yep. Roger Stone know? All these questions. So, uh, but Don Jr. seems to have exposure. He's also not the president of the United States. If you were a prosecutor working your way up, um, getting to the family of the sort of central target of your investigation is yeah. uh, the next sort of logical step. Yeah, and uh, he would know who, maybe whom he called with that block telephone number or something uh, right after the meeting. Now, um, on another front, uh, they, they were Chuck Grassley, one a chair of the Senate Judiciary, wanted to have a vote yesterday on Robert Mueller. Democrats succeeded in. De- I'm, I'm on. What am I saying? Robert Mueller. I'm like you. <laughs> <laughs> on Brett Kavanaugh, um, the Democrats succeeded in delaying it until next Thursday, uh, the twentieth. And now two items have come up. One is that some e- some of these emails that were released uh, that. Cory Booker either released them or they had been released. And one of them says that uh, on the nomination of Charles Pickering by George W. Bush, which turned out to be a pretty controversial nomination. I'm so old I covered it. There you go, yeah. <laughs> and he was blocked by the Senate because of his racist views in the South. Uh, that uh, Kavanaugh had originally denied having anything to do with that. It turns out that he was involved in some meetings about that. And now Diane Feinstein has said she was given a secret letter about some allegations of potential sexual abuse by uh, by Brett Kavanaugh back when he was in high school, uh, and she submitted that to the Justice Department. And, and, and either of these trip up Brett Kavanaugh, or do you think it's a done deal? It's hard to comment on what the what the allegations are with Kavanaugh and what happened in high school or didn't happen in high school yeah. because we don't know because there's no information there, right? I mean, this is. 
Yeah. <laughs> to, to President Trump's point, I mean, there's a deep state field of this, right? A, anonymous source to a senator through a House member goes to the Justice Department, maybe it gets rooted back to the White House, and nobody sees what's in it. Um, I think that- uh, And may never. We may never. And we may never. And uh, so I think it's hard to comment on that intelligently about uh, what it means. I I do think that- um, I do think that the the strategy, to the extent that it is one, and and it looks like this letter was held on to for a couple of months. Yeah, apparently it's been reported by Ryan Grimm in the Intercept that the senator had the letter some in the in summer, July or something. Yeah. So, uh, look, I mean, political politics being what it is, people hold on to damaging information all the time and release it at what they think is the right time. I'm not sure that it benefits the Democrats to delay the comp- the Kavanaugh confirmation for another week. Unless it's going to get derailed, if it's going to go through, delaying it for another week and putting it closer to the midterms is not helpful to them. Yeah, right. Because Republicans are have historically been much more motivated and activated by uh, Supreme Court nominations than Democrats. I think you'd have to say today, wouldn't you, that absent some bombshell that whenever the vote takes place, that looks like Kavanaugh's got the votes. Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, I mean, yes. Unless Susan Collins surprises us. I don't think she will. I don't think she's going <laughs> to. Right. Uh, on the political front, big primary yesterday up in New York State. Uh, no surprising results, I guess. But what does it all mean? Uh, we're in a topsy-turvy world where uh, liberals are rushing to the polls to vote for Nixon. <laughs> you know, that's that's been my problem with the New York primary. Every time, I, every time I saw anything that mentioned Nixon, I kept saying, "No, no, why doesn't she have a different last name?" Yeah, um, I, look, I think she tried to connect herself to uh, a lot. You know, in her her concession speech, tried to connect herself to a lot of other candidates that have represented the progressive movement and and won and. And won. Yes. Uh, and she not only didn't win, she didn't win by a lot. Um, yeah. I Look, New York is different. New York is, is squarely Democratic, um, but and it's certainly got a strong progressive community, but it is, you know, you're looking for moderate Democrats. New York is a, a place to find them. Right. Um, and, uh, you know. But I th- she, did, she did succeed in pushing Cuomo to the left. Right. If, and if that had been the goal. Yes. Well, you know, I think, uh, for instance, Senator Sanders, when he ran for president in uh, in 2016, um, and you would know better than I, but I, I think a large part of what he was aiming to do was simply to move the move the Overton window, if you will, to move the debate to the left, to push Hillary Clinton to the left. Um, that he didn't necessarily conceive of himself as as winning the presidency when he first launched. That's exactly correct, as you have reported in Shattered, <laughs> and as I experienced, still Shattered, still the best book on the 2016 campaign, John Allen and Amy Parnes. Um, but no, that was his original goal, and he, he admitted that, right? And it worked. And it worked. It, it worked. did push Hillary Clinton to the left. I mean, right. the candidate so, she was in 2016 was much different than the 2008 version I think it would have been anyway. I think it, she would have moved somewhat to the left. It was also S- different than the Hillary Clinton who started out running for president. Right, right. I mean, in just a primary. very different. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But that's right. what I'm saying. I mean, I think she would have sh- she would have shifted anyway to some extent. I think it for I think Bernie Sanders forced her uh, over the course of that campaign to move even further left. And then the platform that the Democratic Party put together reflected essentially, I would say. Uh, Bernie Sanders' goals with Hillary Clinton 
uh, means. You know, you remember. I want to come back to New York in just a second, but on that point, you remember the Hillary's response to Bernie's. He called it single payer at the time, yeah. but really Medicare for all is yeah. what his, he's always talked about. At the time, was this is pie in the sky? You can never deliver this. You know, this is crazy to to, to be talking about stuff like this. Why, that's why Sanders is so dangerous. That was two years ago. Today, Medicare for all is just about the Bible right. for Democrats. Gavin Newsom, running for governor of California, his platform is Medicare for all. Right. Oh, I think what they must. Stacey have... Abrams in Georgia, Andy Gillum, Andrew Gillum in Florida, Medicare for all, Medicare for all. What they must have accidentally discovered is that uh, people outside the left outside the traditional Democratic left, also like Medicare. Uh, President Trump understands it. Yeah. His his argument against Democrats right now, ridiculous as it is, is they're going to take away your Social Security and your Medicare. Mm-hmm. And he's making that argument to <laughs> Trump voters at Trump rallies in red states and yeah. red districts. Right. Um, and right. so mm-hmm. Medicare for all is a much safer political message than Single payer Absolutely. or universal or any other yeah. label. No, we said at the time, I wasn't the only one, that they should call it Medicare for all and get away from that phrase of uh, of single payer. I now so, want to write a story because I feel like that's a good story. <laughs> I think it is a good story. How Medicare, no. how Medicare for all resonates in a, with a much broader audience. It does. And thank you, Bernie. Right? Um, so back in New York, I, I had to laugh out loud this morning. I think it was on Politico when I saw a headline. Uh, Cuomo trounces Nixon, looks to 2020. Suddenly, he's and, running. <laughs> but Andrew Cuomo, he has never been on anybody's list for 2020. Should he be now? Um, not because he won, although had he lost, obviously, he wouldn't be on anyone's list. Yeah. Um, I, yeah he's been looking at it. Uh, I know he has, his, but people haven't his been looking at His father looked at it. His, but people haven't been looking at him because they don't like him. I mean... Suddenly, I think his I think his his the case that he would make, believable or not, the case that he would make is uh he's a fighter. Democrats want a fighter uh against Trump, no doubt. Um that he has governed in his view, has governed effectively, uh with a pretty complicated uh state to govern there in New York. Um so I think those would be the sort of two pillars of what he would talk about. Now uh on the other side, in the Democratic primary, this uh, he would uh, get hammered for basically putting the Republicans in charge of the legislature mm-hmm. um, and for uh, for moderate policies. I mean, it, it, you, the question is, what's the difference between profile wise between him and a Hillary Clinton coming out of uh, out of being able to win statewide in New York as a Democrat? personality aside? You would have to admit that anybody who's been a Democrat, right, who's governor. <laughs> Of next to California, the largest blue state, um, and has won now, been elected, reelected, and now reelected again, would have to be a force in the Democratic primary for president. It generally means you're a good politician, right? <laughs> if you're able to win in, uh, you know, in New York or California or any of these other huge states with complicated politics, where you really like, you can't be super anti-corporate left because you have to deal with corporations to get things done in your state. You can't be uh, anti-union because you have to deal with unions to get things done in your state. Um, you name the issue. Look at the look at the diversity of New York State um, in terms of, obviously, the city itself, in terms of the number of ethnicities that you see there and uh, the number of groups. That, uh, there's a parade 
for a different uh, nationality or ethnicity every, it seems like every week in New York. Um, that's complicated politics. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Cuomo has shown some ability to, to navigate that. Now, there are like, what, 30 people that are going to run for president? I, I think if you're if you're Bernie Sanders, we were talking about him before, you're applauding yeah. the entry of every other candidate <laughs> because you've got a core that's pretty solid and that has been remained uh, activated over the last couple of years. Uh, the more candidates that run, the more likely Bernie Sanders is to be the Democratic nominee. The, whoa. Um, the thing that I find most exciting, I wrote my column about it this week. Out, out Are you surpri- you're surprised I said that? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> about Bernie, meaning... Um, he's certainly on the list. I don't know that anybody puts him. You're, you're putting him number one on the list. Do you believe? I would start over Joe Biden. I would over start. Elizabeth I would start Warren. him out with an advantage over anybody else because he has an activated uh, set of activists across the country that he has remained engaged with. Uh, that he has remained. Um, As he has, He's, he hasn't stopped. He has not slowed down right. at all. So, like, he starts with he starts with a larger army than anybody else. Um, just in terms of you know, sort of pure numbers, uh, that doesn't mean that I think you know that I that I would bet money on Bernie Sanders being the nominee of the Democratic Party. I, far from it. I wouldn't bet on anybody right now. But anybody that's taking him on who underestimates him, and I think most people in the Democratic Party do, uh, has to reckon with the fact that there are people who really believe in Bernie Sanders, and it's not a small number, and it's not contained to a region. Um, uh, you know. It, it, can, it is contained demographically somewhat, but not totally. Well, speaking of the Democratic Party, last evening when she won the um, uh, her uh, campaign to be the Democratic nomination nominee for Attorney General in New York, uh, young African American woman Trish James Trish Tish, Tish James said, "This is a um, a new era for the she represents new era for the Democratic Party." Cynthia Nixon last night when she won, she talked about, okay, I didn't win, but here's what that means for the Democratic Party. This race for the Democratic nomination may be over, but the fight for the soul of the Democratic Party is just beginning. And so when you look at progressives that are winning, like an Andrew Gillum in Florida, like a Stacey Abrams in Georgia, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you can go down the list, right? Um, What is happening to the Democratic Party? Is there a new surge of progressivism? Uh, Jimmy Carter, by the way, on the same time yesterday was out saying the party's in danger of moving too far to the left. And then he said if he was president, he would like undo everything that Donald Trump's done, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I, so I, <laughs> uh, I think that a lot of times these gradations are um, are somewhat superficial. They're, they're more stylistic. I, like, mm-hmm. what is the difference between the Andrew Gillum? I mean, Andrew Gillum and, and Gwen Graham have some differences on policy. But, you know, where would you put Andrew Gillum like on a national spectrum of Democratic candidates. He's not like, you know, to the left of Bernie or anything. I mean, I so I, I sort of... And he supported Hillary, in, as right. we know, in 2016. I mean, what, I, what we're but, seeing is a Democratic Tea Party movement. And I don't mean to say that the Democratic voters are the same as the Tea Party voters, but it, it's expressed as right and left. I think it's more establishment, anti-establishment. Um, I think right. that... Somebody made this point on Twitter yet, and I have... Uh, Twitter yet last night, and I haven't had a chance to, like, sort of fully... Grasp it, but they made a point about um, candidates of color 
uh, being able to bring in white progressives and win, but white progressives running, <laughs> not necessarily yeah. being able to do huh. the, do the yeah. same. So Acacia Cortez and Stacey Abrams and um, yeah. uh, and Presley. But I mean, you know, if, if you talk I, about Ayanna Presley, yes, another one. If you talk right. about left and right, uh, what's not liberal about Mike Capuano in Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody ever looked at him and said Except that guy's Ayanna too Presley's message was change can't wait. Right. That, yeah. Right. It's happening. It's exciting. It's an exciting time. Exciting time. And it's great to have you with us, John Allen, NBC News. You can follow him, of course, at NBCNews.com. Thanks, John. Thank you. Bill. Great to see you. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. <laughs> Hello, it's The Bill Press Show. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because Donald Trump just tweeted in Spanish. <laughs> oh, God. No, he didn't. Did he <laughs> yes, really? He did. Yes, oh, he did. Oh, God. Yes, he did. Uh, here it is. Hoy es el último día para desalojar. This is the last day to relocate, to get out. To evacuate, I guess is the proper pronunciation. And anyway, we'll have to I'm see. I'm going to go out on a limb here. He 100% did not write that. Oh, he, he must have. He also says that 3,000 National Guard members uh, are on duty for... No, no, no. The Democrats made up that number. That's not a real number. Democrats, right. Democrats made up that number to make him look good, right? <laughs> As opposed to the 3,000 from yesterday. Oh, my God. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. It is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. And this is Friday, September 14. Uh, Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Lots and lots to talk about. And Rebecca has made landfall, at least the... Florence has made landfall. Rebecca. Hurricane Rebecca is in studio with you. I feel like that's the best introduction I've ever gotten for any show, Bill, and I'm going to take it. Rebecca has made landfall. I have made landfall. Okay. Hurricane Rebecca has hit the studio. The eye of the storm, the wall of the eye, Hurricane Florence, has hit North Carolina. Rebecca Vallas is... Boy, you have such a title. It takes up half a page here. Oh, okay. God, it's better than it used to be, Bill, but believe first, it or not. <laughs> first, you're host of the Off-Kilter podcast at Think Progress, right, at the Center for American yes. Progress, and also Vice President for Poverty to Prosperity at the Center for American Progress. It's a mouthful, <laughs> but you got it all right, Bill. Wearing both hats, it's nice to see you today. It's nice to see you Thanks with so both much hats for, as well. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Poverty in America? There's no poverty in America, of course. Well, not. I just asked Donald Trump, right? That's exactly right. He, we'll he find doesn't out. want you to know about it. No, no, no. And never talks about it. We will uh, jump into more of those issues and more of the day here with Rebecca, Rebecca Vallis and with all of you. Look forward to hearing your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, 
But first, this is the full court press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So yesterday, a big news story from Starbucks. They announced that they are going to deepen its commitment to sustainability. They said that they are going to build 10,000 quote, greener stores around the globe by 2025, as if there weren't already enough Starbucks stores out there. 10,000 more are coming. Now, they did mention that this is going to encompass brand new stores and also renovating old stores to make them more uh, environmentally What does that mean? Are they going to have compost toilets? Or I'm what? glad you asked. Okay. I'm glad you asked. So they're, they're sort of jumping onto this uh, 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 story of the day. <laughs> they're going to get rid of plastic st- uh, straws from its stores around the globe by 2020, which is not that far away, right? They're going to they're gonna get rid of all the uh, 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 plastic straws. They're going to help develop the LEED for retail program, open up its first LEED or green certified uh, uh, stores in new markets because they were one of the first stores to really embrace that. And they're going to open more of them. So less energy, more uh, recycling and composting and things like that, and less plastic across the board for Starbucks. Again, 2025 is the goal for this. So You know, straws are, have become the new... I know. Target, right? I know. I, mean, I forget where I was the other day, and somebody and the waiter said, Would, do you need a straw or do you want a straw? They don't automatically give them to you. Anymore. Yeah, you're going to have to ask In for some one places. now. Yeah. You have to ask for one. Now, one final quick story. The Volkswagen Beetle, the bug, is no more. Yesterday, oh, they confirmed that sad. they are going to end production. This, again, is, of course, the second time that this has happened. They manufactured some many, many years ago and then brought it back for a fairly successful revival. Uh, but they said that no one's buying them anymore. So they're not going to make him anymore. My first car. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, what else? Sure. Yeah, of course. I wish I'd saved it now. <laughs> I'd sell it on eBay. <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. Hurricane Florence, she has arrived, and uh, water rescues are the way. Uh, heavy winds, heavy flooding already in the Carolinas, uh, and we will keep our eye on that and keep you uh, up to date. Hello, everybody. It is a Friday, September 14. Uh, this is the Bill Press Show. You got, you're in the right place as we come to you live coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Joining you wherever you happen to be in this great uh, great land of ours, online, on the radio, and on television. On television, on Free Speech TV, on the radio, out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT. Hello, hello, Chicago. And, uh, of course, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. In studio with us from the Center for American Progress, Rebecca Vallis, host of the Off-Kilter podcast and the vice president for... The Poverty to Prosperity Program. And now the segment's over because my title was so that, long, well, right, that's Bill? That's it. Hello, Rebecca. It's good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, too. You just can't, you're just out with a new report on poverty in the country. There used to be a time when people talked about it, right? 
I think that's right. It's uh, those days are sadly gone because now we actually have a uh, a president in the White House who has uh, decided it's not just climate change that he wants to deny exists in the world and in America. He also has decided to deny the existence of poverty well, in America. Well, it's Trump's rule that if you don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. Or if you try lots of different strategies to erase it with manipulation of data, which he actually has done through his White House, then you can try and say it doesn't exist either. Well, what did you find in your report? Well, so the the new thing that we have out this week actually comes to us from the U.S. Census Bureau. They're the official government keeper and provider of data on lots of different things, including on poverty, on inequality, on health insurance. And that's the report that they put out this week. It's sort this of is eight years after the last census. Um, so it is, but every year they actually come out with an oh, they, annual report okay. telling us kind of like a you know an update. update how are, yeah, how are things yeah, going in, right. in the U.S. when it comes to these issues? And so what they told us this week um, is actually something that really flies in the face of Trump's denial that poverty is a thing in the United States of America in 2018. So what we found, what the, what the Census Bureau tells us in this report is that despite Trump's claims that this is the best economy ever, right, we hear that from him almost every time he tweets, almost every time he opens his mouth, um, what what, what this report tells us is that it's the best economy ever if you're a really wealthy corporation or if you're a really, really rich person who has maybe one, two, or three yachts. But but if you're an everyday American, uh, the economic growth that Trump wants to keep reminding us of every chance he gets, it's not really reaching you. It's not reaching me. It's not reaching you. It's certainly not reaching people who are at the lowest rungs of the economic ladder. And so what the census told us this week um, is that the poverty rate in this country is pretty stubbornly stuck um, at about 40 to 45 million Americans living in poverty. And it actually gets even worse. The poverty rate, I'm going to get a little wonky here Mm -hmm. for a second, Mm -hmm. Bill, but I think it's important. The poverty rate that we use in this country doesn't really do a good job of actually assessing whether you can afford to live, whether you can afford housing, whether you can afford food, health care, the kinds of basics people need. And when you actually look at that kind of a measure, what census tells us is that 140 million Americans, it's almost half of this country, Bill, is either poor or just one emergency away from poverty. That doesn't sound like the best economy ever to me, and I don't know that it does to you either. 140 million? That's exactly so that, right. So Maybe a hundred of hundred million of them are like getting along, but um, one serious illness, one car crash, or one a lost job, a sick lost job loved one, right? right. L- literally, kind of on the edge. <laughs> so huge, huge share of this country really struggling to get by. But you know, so- this story comes out like every single year. We'll see some version of a story that Americans are essentially uh, have no money in savings. Uh, yeah, certainly not enough to cover any sort of calamity. I mean, that might I, come their way. I saw a number the other day. I was just starting to say that that it's like what sticks in my mind is like four hundred dollars. You, this is exactly right. So actually, almost half of adults in this country don't even have $400 in the bank. They wouldn't be able to cover an unexpected expense like that. That's how uh, uh, sort of fragile the economic circumstances that huge swaths of this country that's are facing. scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. And that's this so-called I mean, best economy ever that so Trump there's no is cushion, boasting There's about. no cushion to fall back on That's exactly right. Uh, the only cushion would be 
I guess, the government or your church or your friends or your family, but I mean... No, that's that's right, Bill. And actually, when you mentioned well, the government, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but isn't that why we have a safety net for when people fall on hard times? Well, it's actually that exact safety net that Trump is trying to wipe off of the face of the earth, right? He's actively trying to take away not just health care, but also food and housing and pretty much all of the basics that people need to turn to. Well, that's because we tough. need more money for the Pentagon. Well, and, and for rich people, apparently, because as, as I know you've been covering on this show, Republicans aren't done trying to lavish massive tax cuts on the wealthiest people in this country. They're yeah. out with Tax Scam 2.0 literally this week. Let me tell you, anybody that's surprised that the Republicans are coming up with yet another tax cut bill to make the previous tax cuts permanent, I mean, <laughs> you had to see that coming. As we kept saying last year, this is such a con job of the American people. Of course, they pass these. They're going to sunset them. And I'm just surprised it took them this long to turn around to make them permanent. That's their that's their they've done it over and over again. That's exactly right. And when you start to think about the magnitude, right, we already know that tax scam 1.0 and I can't believe we're even having to call it 1.0. Right. Um, but that added one point nine trillion dollars to the deficit over the next 10 years. I mean, that's a mammoth amount of money that you could do all kinds of things with, like end poverty outright in the United States. It's actually enough money to do that. Um, and now they're turning around and they want to do another $630 billion uh, of, of deficit increasing tax cuts to the wealthiest people in this country. Um, again, thinking about what you could do with that kind of money, you could end child poverty for the next 10 years, Bill. But instead, Republicans just can't stop trying to give tax cuts to their donors. That is all that they are focused on right now. You know, um, I remember um, just vaguely, but um, Bobby Kennedy, when he was a senator, uh, went to particularly the southern states That's right. to highlight the poverty in the Mississippi Delta and other places. And so for a while, there was a national conversation about it. Who talks about it today? I mean, certainly not Donald Trump. We can't expect him to. I mean, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> the whole Trump Tower, Gilded Tower the kind of thing. He, 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 he just doesn't – he's totally ignorant, I think, of those issues. But what? is there anybody at all who's, whose focus is on poverty in America and what we ought to – particularly poverty among kids. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know what the number of that 40, 45 million, but I've seen so many children live in poverty. It, it's don't, about one in five get, kids. Yeah. It's, it's really terrifying statistics. But to, I, I actually – to give credit where credit is due, the, the folks who have, I think, put poverty and the widespread uh, nature of it, that 140 million number I mentioned before of people living on the edge if they're mm -hmm. not in outright poverty, um, the folks who have really done a great job of putting that in the national spotlight are the Poor People's Campaign, led by Reverend William Barber, who folks might remember oh, from the yeah. Moral Monday's oh, movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had a huge rally this summer that got thousands and thousands of people all on mm. the National Mall, all talking about how this is a national crisis that not only do people not focus on nearly enough, but that wrongly gets talked about as though it's about us and them, as though it's some group of kind of people who made bad choices living on the wrong side of the tracks. When you're talking about almost half of this country struggling to make ends meet, that's a broken economy that's only working 
working for the rich and for wealthy corporations, that's not broken people, right? That's not people who are to blame. That's a story about wages that just aren't paying enough for huge swaths of workers in this country, many of whom are now working two and three jobs just to make ends meet. Well, the contrast is particularly, as you pointed out earlier, uh, striking because all we hear from Donald Trump is how great the economy is. That's right. Uh, I've created more jobs than anybody else. The economy is stronger than it's ever been. I mean, we're the envy of the world, blah, 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 on and on and on. Um, and, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, as Peter and I were, we were talking earlier, in some of his lies or exaggerations, there's just enough truth that it's, you know, you can almost say, well, he's not entirely wrong. I mean, unemployment is less than 4%, right? I mean, that's good, right? That's we exactly did create right. 211, whatever it was, 1,000 jobs. This is 95 months in a row. We've created over 100,000 jobs. That's good. For some people, I mean, the market is just continued to start under Obama, continues to soar. For at least some people, that's good. Um, so if you listen to Donald Trump, you get the feeling that, hey, we're, this is boom time, right? No, that's that's exactly right, Bill, and I, and I think you're right. But it's you're not right. for everybody. That's and that and you're putting you're putting your thumb on exactly the right point here, which is that absolutely we are seeing economic growth, and and that's indisputable, and we are seeing good jobs numbers, and we are seeing um, a, a, a low unemployment rate, which has been steadily declining, and in a and lot of ways, even wages are starting to go inch up. But. That's the thing that we just aren't seeing is economic growth overall translating into better economic circumstances for people. Who who aren't at the top of the income ladder. So I'm going to give you an example. When you actually look at economic growth following the tax scam 1.0 we were talking about before that took effect earlier this year, you, what you see is wages just sluggishly moving along flat, even declining in some months, right, in real terms. People literally taking home less than they than they were before um, for workers. And you see corporate profits just soaring, right? Mm. There's this chart that I kind of want to act out with with my body to give you a sense, right? It's corporate profits going through the roof since the tax scam took effect and it's wages stuck right here, right? So it's like everything you need to know in one chart when it comes to what trickle-down economics really is about, and that's about giving money to really rich people and wealthy corporations in ways that don't actually translate to rising uh, uh, um, uh, boats, right, or or, um, the rising tide lifting all boats, as Republicans would have you believe, and Donald Trump is no exception. Um, And yet, despite that that sort of emperor wearing no clothes being so evident to so many people in the wake of that first round of tax cuts to the wealthy, we see them coming right back and trying to do it again. And, and it's it's interesting. I think Republicans are starting to realize the jig is up, that people know this mm. isn't actually about helping people who aren't already wealthy. And you're not even hearing them try to make that argument anymore. Well, I mean, they certainly didn't get the bounce out of a tax cut 1.0 or whatever we've been calling it. One of the most unpopular pieces of legislation in modern history. That they expected, right? This was the one they were going to run on. This was the one that was going to propel them to uh, holding on to both houses of Congress, on and on and on. And they finally stopped talking about it. That's right. right. As a political 
Um, they know it's not advantage. a winner. It's not. It's deeply unpopular. Um, but then the the other thing I, I want to mention that came out of this new census report, it's not just about poverty and income. I mentioned it's also about health insurance. And that's a really important part of the story here as well. What we found from this, this census report this week is that after years and years of steady progress when it comes to how many people in this country have health insurance, and that's, of course, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, we've seen steady declines in the share of people without health insurance, all the way starting in 2013 when the, the benefits of that law really started to be measurable. And this is the first year that we have seen stalled progress. So we actually mm. saw no improvement in people uh, uh, getting health insurance. Um, and that's likely due to all of the efforts by the Trump administration to sabotage the Affordable Care Act. So that was one of the things that came out of this report. No surprise there because he's not done trying to take away health insurance from millions of Americans. Americans, even though he wasn't able to get his way uh, with Congress and actually outright repealing the ACA. But isn't the reality today that on the political front, health care is a winning issue? That's right. I mean, and, and Republicans have sort of discovered this, haven't they? I mean, they've they, they, at least they're not so upfront saying we're going to get rid of Obamacare or we're going to get rid of all the good parts of Obamacare, like preventive uh, I mean, a pre-existing condition or the subsidies. You stopped seeing quite so much from Congress because I think Trump and Republicans in Congress learned the hard way well, how hard it Trump was. Did, but Republicans in Congress may have yeah, learned right. the hard way how hard it is going to be to try to actually repeal such a popular piece of legislation. But at the same time, what you've seen Trump now shift to doing is trying to uh, to take health insurance away from people basically by fiat. He's been exercising and exploring every opportunity using his executive authority, and in some cases, authority that legal experts think he doesn't actually have. He's overstepping, trying to take health insurance away from people, sort of death by a thousand paper cuts. That's especially true when it comes to Medicaid, which is a huge part of our health insurance system. And you've seen him trying to basically give states authority that, again, legal experts think he doesn't have to to give, um, to take away health insurance from unemployed people, right? To kick them literally while they are down. Uh, And so that was another really important takeaway from this census uh, report, um, the the impacts of the Trump sabotage efforts on the ACA. Hasn't he, in fact, uh, in a sense, succeeded where President Obama didn't succeed in making Obamacare popular? I think that's probably one silver lining (laughs) of all the attacks on this law. Suddenly they turn around and... Might have been it might have been more and pop, more popular rather from the beginning if they had not called it Obamacare. Uh, I always said they should have called it Medicare for all from the beginning and. Um and Medicare is a very popular program. But I think you're exactly right. I think the, the the Affordable Care Act is currently at levels of popularity that are unprecedented for the law. Medicaid as well is is wildly popular. you got 80 percent of Americans saying, don't cut Medicaid. I understand this is for my grandma or for people with disabilities or for a lot of kids who need health insurance. People now understand the role that Medicaid plays. And yet you've got the Trump administration trying to basically end the Medicaid program as we know it by removing the promise of coverage that is the the bedrock of that law. So I know uh, a lot of uh, people who are running for office or members of Congress, they look to the Center for American Progress, our great progressive think tank here in Washington, D.C., the one and only, um, for ideas and and assistance in in understanding these issues. So uh, how do you advise Democratic candidates to talk about the economy 
when um, when they're at, you know out there on the road? I mean, what 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 should they be saying about the economy? As we pointed out, there's some numbers you can't knock, but at the same time, what is the economic message? That, uh, winning economic message for Democrats? Today? I think it's exactly what we've been talking about. It's that we need an economy that works for everyone, right? That works for working people, not just for the wealthy few. And that currently, what we have is an economy that's only rewarding and, and giving economic gains to those already at the top of the income ladder and to the wealthiest corporations out there who are currently uh, set to give $1 trillion in stock buybacks. That's a new record bill um, to wealthy shareholders just this year. What we need and what people who are, are, are true progressives are starting to run on um, is uh, an economic agenda that's actually about helping working folks be able to afford things like food, like housing, like health care, right, rather than continuing to be squeezed by flat and declining wages and rising costs of all of the basic pillars of a middle class life. We barely have a middle class anymore. What we have is this growing group of folks who are on that precipice like we've been talking about. So if Trump were serious, if Republicans were serious about helping Trump's forgotten man and his forgotten woman that they were, uh, that he campaigned on, on on helping and that so many people thought maybe he was really going to actually try to help, a lot of folks voted for him, you know, actually thinking maybe he was going to save and bring back their jobs. If he were serious at all about helping anyone who's not some wealthy shareholder, what he would be doing first right off the bat is raising the power poverty level minimum wage. And that has to be a cornerstone of the progressive economic agenda. The minimum wage has lost so much purchasing power over the past decade when it hasn't been raised by Congress. And as a result, you've got workers working uh, harder than ever and bringing home just absolute peanuts. A minimum wage worker this year, I'll give you a number, Bill, is taking a pay cut of $2,370 just this year because Congress hasn't been able to to raise it. Democrats have been stymied by Republicans who don't think that that do should mean be on by, the agenda. How, how do you mean the pay cut? Beca because inflation the, oh. is actually rising faster than, than that minimum wage that's been stuck at $7.25 for about a decade. So that's that, that basically materializes as a massive pay cut for minimum wage workers who now can't afford food and housing. Even if you're, well, first of all, if you're working a 40-hour week, at seven twenty-five an hour, you're living in poverty. That's exactly right. If you're making fifteen dollars an hour for forty an hour, a forty hour a week, you're you're not living high on the hog. Nope, but you got a little more to actually be able to make ends meet. And are just maybe just above the poverty level. That's right. That's exactly right. So the minimum wage and raising that poverty level minimum wage absolutely has to be part of the agenda. But we also have to see, I think, um, a, a lot more in the way of uh, connecting the dots between some of the issues that get talked about in silos. So healthcare. Healthcare is absolutely part of a, a kitchen table conversation about families being able to make ends meet, right? So that's part Part of the economic conversation as well, and I think you're going to see a lot of Democrats, um, and not just progressive ones, running on on health care in this yeah. election as you well. You know, to your point about Donald Trump as candidate Donald Trump, and I, I, I just could not believe that people bought this, that this billionaire who never left his gold-plated suite knew anything about or cared anything about ordinary people, ordinary working-class Americans, I, I always found to be so unbelievable. But enough people bought it that he is where he is. 
I'd like to see. So I, don't, I haven't seen anybody go back to what his promise was to middle class Americans and what he has delivered for middle class Americans, which is like a big fat goose egg, right? Where it, everything that he's done has tilted toward his millionaire and billionaire friends, whom he surrounded himself with, of course, uh, in his cabinet. That's right. But in terms of benefits to either uh, through the minimum wage or through health care or the food stamp program, whatever, the benefits people who really need, are, are really struggling, are, are, are at that level where you point out that one catastrophe, they could be wiped out. Um, he hasn't done anything. He well, hasn't and, done anything. And I would argue I haven't seen anybody do that contrast. Well, I would argue, Bill, it's worse than a goose egg. A goose egg would actually be better than where we are because huh. what he Trump has back, been... Huh? That's exactly right. What Trump has been doing is basically attacking working families at every turn um, and, and in every different area that you just mentioned. So let's take health care. People know he's been trying to dismantle the Affordable Care Act at every chance he gets. We, talk, we talked about Medicaid as well. Um, uh, but it's also nutrition assistance, right? So um, folks may be aware of the, the food stamp program that you just mentioned. Trump and Republicans in, in particularly the House have been trying to take away food assistance from 2 million Americans. And then also take away school lunch from 265,000 hungry kids in the classroom. That's their agenda when it comes to nutrition, right? When it comes to housing, what's Trump's answer in the middle of an affordable housing crisis? Oh, he wants to triple the poorest families' rents. That's actually his proposal that Ben Carson came out well, with. Well, Ben Carson, who believes that poverty is a state of mind. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. exactly right. So this if is If you the... don't believe you're poor, you are not poor. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> As he sits at his $50,000 dining room table or whatever it that's is. That's right. <laughs> Cleared that up, didn't he? Well, that's going to be cold comfort for all the folks who actually can't afford to put food on their less than $50,000 kitchen tables, right? Uh, tell me about the Off-Kilter podcast. So Off-Kilter, a uh, show that I, I enjoy hosting every week, is the only nationally distributed radio show and podcast about poverty and inequality. It's uh, powered by the Center for American Progress Action Fund, our C4 arm. And every week we talk about uh, the issues that, that matter to people who are struggling and people who care about those folks. So whether that's um, the census report we're talking about this week, we've got a segment with Jared Bernstein from the Center on Budget and Policy mm -hmm. Priorities, unpacking mm -hmm. some of that. We also have been talking a lot about about Kavanaugh recently because of what his confirmation to the Supreme Court would mean for for people who are are less than wealthy, um, and and we talk How about how so how do you what what's the danger you see from Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh is just such a tremendously anti-worker nominee, and and we uh, we know I think that any nominee Trump was going to put forth was going to be a lot like Gorsuch was going to be a lot like that conservative block on the bench, and we see that through and through with Kavanaugh's agenda. But actually, this week um, I I. Have have on a really fantastic guest talking about how Kavanaugh is a tremendous threat to people with disabilities, a case that hasn't gotten nearly enough attention that he uh, 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 was one of his rulings uh, as a federal judge just back in 2007. Uh, he ruled that people with disabilities should, it should be okay to perform elective surgery on them without their consent. Sounds like something out of, I don't know, the, the dark ages, but this was just 2007 oh when he God, actually really? performed this ruling. It's a case called Doe versus D.C. And I have on actually a woman with an intellectual disability who's just a powerhouse disability advocate talking about what it would mean for her and for other people with disabilities if they didn't have the, the right to make choices about their own bodies. They could. 
<laughs> perform surgery on somebody without... That's exactly I mean, that's right. Unfathomable. It is, and yet this is who we are seriously talking about as, as the next Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Wow. I haven't heard anybody talk about that. It certainly didn't come up, to my knowledge, at the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, it did, did it? It did on the last day of hearings, and the woman that I actually by have on my witness, show. By a witness, but that's the right. senators never raised it, huh? That's what they, yeah. they, they did. So that Liz Weintraub <laughs> is the name of this disability advocate. She's at the uh, Association of University Centers on Disabilities. She's just a total powerhouse. Um, and she was a witness before the Senate Judiciary Committee in these hearings. And she shares some really amazing personal experience about what it means when other people are making choices for you because they don't think that you have the ability to to determine your own life outcome. Uh, hope the senators were listening. Uh, not sure about that. Rebecca Vallis is going to stay with us as a friend of Bill here for the entire hour. It's great to have you on board. Thank you. By the way, you can sign up for the Off-Kilter podcast at AmericanProgress.org, right? You can find it probably most easily oh. on on Twitter. Go to at Off-Kilter Show. At Off-Kilter Show. From Priorities USA, Josh Schwerin joins us here uh, and all of you uh, coming up next. He's Communications Director for Priorities USA. This is The Bill Press Show. It's Friday, September 14. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. And here we are on this Friday, Friday, September 14. Good to have you with us and thanks for joining us here on The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, as always. Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president. The one and only Leo Girard, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union representing 1.2 million active and retired members. And they are all very active in the midterm elections of 2018, you bet. Uh, And even looking ahead, I saw uh, Leo Girard with uh, Joe Biden at the uh, Pittsburgh Labor Day uh, festivities out there uh, as well. Not that he's made any endorsement yet, but... Uh, they're looking ahead to who might hold the banner in uh, 2020. So Rebecca Vallis here with us from the Center for American Progress as a friend of Bill the entire hour. Rebecca, it's good to have you still around. Great to be here. And we're joined at the table by Josh Schwerin, who's the Communications Director for the Great Priorities USA. Uh, we've been speaking, Josh, about the midterm elections, and uh, you're right in the middle of it. So we welcome. Are, and thanks for having me on. We uh, have been at it for about an hour and a half now, uh, stirring up a few comments along the way. Peter, you want to bring us up to date? Yes, indeed. A couple different comments uh, from all across the spectrum of what we've talked about today. Fred uh, chimed in when we were talking about the Cynthia Nixon loss in New York yesterday. Uh, Fred says we need to mention all of the progressive Democrats in New York that beat the Republican light Democrats yesterday. By the way, that is huge. It's a big story. uh, What? Four out of five of those Republican light Democrats. It was five out of six. Well, oh, five yeah. out of six. Yeah. Five That's out of deal. six of them were knocked off, which was a huge, huge, deal. huge yeah. progressive win in New York State. Thank you, Fred. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, and also Tish James, the attorney general, candidate for attorney general. Great big win for progressives in New York. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talked about Zephyr Teachout, who was also in, in the race. In that race and for was AG. Pr- yeah. Probably the most progressive candidate. But... Tish James is a candidate that progressives can be very, very happy with. She only seemed less progressive because <laughs> Zephyr Teachout was in the race, right. who is clearly 
more to the left. Exactly. Uh, Terrace Muhammad on uh, your comments about Lindsey Graham. Terrace Muhammad found us on Twitter. Says Lindsey Graham says our friends in Puerto Rico they are U.S. citizens. Thank you. Is this remark a play on the ignorance of Trump voters? I think Lindsey Graham knows exactly what he's doing uh, when it comes to that. Also, lots of comments about your conversation with Rebecca about poverty. Uh, Raymond Taylor says these tax cuts are like an addiction for the GOP. They just cannot stop. Also, Roxanne says the issue of poverty needs more coverage. Rebecca, we're glad you're out there with your podcast. Uh, so if you have a comment, you can find us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. I guess a point there is that the, that re- tax cuts are an addiction for the Republicans, and so are uh, conservative judges and packing <laughs> the courts. And if as long as they're getting those two things out of Donald Trump, they don't give a damn what Donald Trump says or does about anything else. Isn't yeah. that what you're finding, Josh? That, that's, that's exactly right. And it's not just the act of giving tax cuts. It's the $10 million checks they get in return for them from their donors. And that's it's this horrible cycle of they only care about the people giving them money. And so they give them big tax cuts. We all pay for it. They're going to pay for it by cutting Medicare, Social Security. And they get campaign donations in return. And it's this horrible cycle that we need to break. You also can't forget the self-enrichment angle of this as well, right? Because a lot of the members of Congress who are writing these tax cut bills for millionaires are themselves benefiting from these huge tax cuts for the wealthy. I think my favorite example is probably Vern Buchanan, who, you can't make this up, actually bought himself a $3 million yacht the exact day that Tax Scam 1.0 took effect. You can't make that up, right? It's actually like a yacht delivery mechanism. That is what these tax cuts are. A member of Congress. Yes. There's actually a website, Find uh, Vern's Yacht, that's dedicated to someone <laughs> trying to get a picture of it so that we can all follow it. It's truly remarkable. Between it really him and is. Betsy DeVos, the yacht stories have been coming fast and furious. So I, oh, yeah. My colleague, uh, Sam Berger, over at the Center for American Progress, actually just put out a piece earlier this week uh, calling Tax Scam 2.0 uh, the tax bill that would launch 13,000 yachts. He crunched those numbers because, uh, you know, you got to have a little fun with this. And now you can write off your private plane purchase, too. That's exactly so right. Go. If anybody does find his yacht, gosh, about it, that. it would be a damn shame if they were to untie it and let it float <laughs> off like they did with, with <laughs> Betsy DeVos's yacht. Such I a would, shame, Peter. Gosh, we shouldn't advise listeners to do no, that. No, please do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what? But take a picture of it when you do. Yeah, please. And yeah. send it to us, BillPressShow.com. Yeah, please send it to us. <laughs> yeah, right. So, Priorities USA, Josh, what's the latest? Um, you you started in 2016, I guess, right? And Well, but, so the organization or, started in 2012, 2012 to, to okay. help uh, President Obama get reelected. Right. Um, we are a very different organization now. So, our focus primarily uh, in this midterm is we are focusing on digital ads. So Senate Majority Pack, House Majority Pack, they're running TV ads all across the country. That's really important. But they've already got that covered. So what we're doing is we're running digital ads, working with them in a bunch of Senate races, some governor's races, we'll be in House races, um, making sure that we have all our bases covered in terms of talking to as many voters where they are. How important are digital ads in the political landscape these days? This is a hotly debated topic, (laughs) but we would argue very, very important. Uh, Every year, more people are getting their news from sources other than television. Yeah. So, and especially if you are younger and more diverse, you're more likely to be getting your news online. So it's crazy to think that we shouldn't be going where the voters are. That doesn't mean that's the only thing we should do. TV still reaches the most number of voters, but 
if you know that you are trying to, as most Democrats are, get a younger, more diverse electorate out, why wouldn't you be spending money trying to talk to them where they are? Yeah. So these are the ads that pop up when you uh, follow you everywhere on your phone, <laughs> no matter what you're doing. Boy, boy, we know them, don't we? <laughs> I got to be honest, though. I want to be cynical, are, right, about it, mm-hmm. with because everyone loves to hate kind of pop up ads, but I, they really work, right? And I, I feel like I'm Exhibit A for that. The number of articles of clothing or chargers for my devices or, or things I didn't even know I needed, that right? Pair that, of shoes you put in the shopping cart and don't buy, then follow you around the internet. But I actually buy them, is what I'm right. saying, right? So apparently. Apparently these ads do work, and and these are things. I, I think I'm actually wearing a jacket I bought through one of those ads right now. <laughs> so what is amazing to me is how fast. Like the other night, so I was going up to New York, and I thought if I have any time, I'm going to try to maybe see a show. So I just went on Broadway shows to see what was there to mm-hmm. remind myself mm-hmm. of what the possibilities were, and one of them appealed to me. I ended up seeing the band's visit, and um, a great little musical. So I just clicked to see where it was playing and kind of what time. Didn't buy a ticket, didn't do anything mm-hmm. at that time. The next thing, you know, five minutes later, I go back to some site. It might have, whatever it was, it might have been off-kilter podcast I hope or something. it was, Bill. <laughs> but right away, there was this, an ad for the band's visit that popped up. It's there that fast. And yeah. it's, it's a very different experience. So you might look at it for three or four seconds, but that three or four seconds can matter. So if, think about how much time you spend on your phone or on your computer all day. And if you have um, these ads following you around and giving you the message that we want to deliver to you, that matters. And why wouldn't we be talking to you then? But do you – so are your ads uh, – do they have sound? Some of them. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people, we also know that uh, – so the, the videos will have sound but also subtitles. And we know that most people don't have the sound on when they're listening. So you need to be able to look at it and read it. Who are you directing your online ads to? Just anybody, or do you, can you target online ad? Can you target the online mm-hmm. ads to meet millennials, Democrats, women? You know, people in particular states. Absolutely. There's there's a whole bunch of ways that you can target. You can do sort of. You can say everyone in uh, this one building, this one office building, you want to see ads, and you can target that. You can draw a circle around the building, and everyone there gets served Jesus. the ads. You can say anyone who went to, (laughs) it's amazing, right? No, really? You can say anyone who went to that rally in Central Park, we want to find them a week later and serve them ads. You can do that. I think we're living in the future, guys. It is. It's a little (laughs) scary, the information that everyone leaves behind on the internet, and that doesn't quite make me comfortable, but at the same time. It is helpful in communicating with voters. What's scary is that the Russians know this as well as (laughs) we do. That's true. And that's what they did, right? In 2016, and are probably mm-hmm. doing, and probably doing today. Yeah. yeah, you hear this. Okay, you hear a lot of Democrats are are saying, you know, Russia with their their really strong online presence helped swing the 2016 election. But you know what? Digital ads don't work. I'm not going to spend money on them. Hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. No, it's, you can't have both of those. Right. Things okay. So um, you started with uh, you were saying Senate races, right? Which ones yeah. do you think are the key Senate races? that merit your involvement? So we can't be everywhere. Um, right. We so, just don't so have you the have, resources to be everywhere. Sure. But so the races that we're up so, in So by right the way, now, just to put yep. that in context, you dropped $21 million in online ads this between, week. Between us and Senate Majority Pack, we announced $21 million in ads this week. That's a big, yeah. That's, uh, it's a, a lot of money. It's a big chunk. Um, and these are, the thing about the Senate battle or battleground this year is there are a lot of races. We're mostly on defense, unfortunately. And a lot of them are going to be close until the end. 
doesn't mean we're not going to win a lot of these races, but we're not necessarily going to know before election day. So <laughs> right now we're we don't want you, in, Josh. We do not want you in the safe districts. That's the that's the plan. Okay, I mean, just to make we clear. are Diane Feinstein will be reelected in California. Do not spend any money in California. We are not well house races. No, I mean yes. I'm sorry. We're but talking yes, Senate her. now. We are not we'll doing. We will not spend yeah. for Diane right. Feinstein. Um, Love her, but she doesn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> so right now we are up in so Arizona where we're on offense, which is a good thing. Um, so they were running ads about Martha McSally and healthcare. That's a common theme throughout. Um, and, and in support of Kirsten Cinema. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and we are doing at times both positive or negative or contrast mm-hmm. that. So there's not a uniform. Um, theme here, but let me just happy yes. to point out that because Rebecca and I were talking about this earlier, healthcare. Here we go again. Healthcare is what every mm-hmm. Democrat should be running on, right? In this in this cycle, and and I think generally because obviously uh, affordable healthcare, high quality healthcare is something yep. that's tremendously popular. But when you've got an administration and a Republican Congress that that has been trying to take away health insurance from tens of millions of Americans uh, for for months and months and months, while also trying to give and and successfully giving uh, tri- over a trillion in tax cuts to the wealthiest, how do you not run? on that, recognizing the unpopularity of the Republican agenda there and the fact that it's just the exact opposite of what Americans want. And that's across party lines, by the way. That's not just true of Democrats when you mm-hmm. ask them. Yeah, And that's what Good. Democrats are running on everywhere, mm-hmm. yes. including in these red states. And so you look at Missouri, for instance, which is a pretty red conservative state. Mm-hmm. And So you're in Missouri, too. We are in Missouri. Right. Um, so like right now, we are running ads about Josh Hawley, who supports this lawsuit that is moving through the courts that would uh, make allow insurance companies to discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions again. And so this is the same thing. They have voted on this in Congress as well. But this is this real, it goes back to the Supreme Court, but mm. this is this real imminent threat to Americans and voters really care about it. It's a, So this is a, I mean, we are, pre-existing conditions are showing up in ads all across the country because it is this really real threat that impacts people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking about it and candidates are talking about it um, because that's what we need to do. We need to, and you were, I heard you talking about this in the last segment, you have to connect this to the issues that are impacting people, to kitchen table issues, to their personal finances, to their economic values. And if you're not doing that, it doesn't, they can think Donald Trump is the worst person on the planet, but if they don't know that he's gonna hurt them, they still might vote for him. Right, right. Uh, Arizona, Missouri. So Arizona, Missouri, Indiana, North Dakota, Florida. Um, so those are the yeah, ones the, that... the ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those are the ones that we are in, Senate Majority Pack. Um, in addition to that is in Tennessee, West Virginia, uh, Montana, and Nevada. So between us, I believe it was um, nine states with, for the $21 million. Yeah. You've got them covered. I mean, they're the... That's they're, the... They're the Senate races, right? Those are the Senate races. I mean, yeah. that's and a lot of them are going to be close. I think as important as the Senate races this year are the governors' races, particularly. I mean, we took our eye off the ball with governors' races and state legislative races. Let's face it; certainly back in 2010, and yep. we've suffered ever since. Um, but there are a lot of exciting Democratic candidates for governor this year. And, and some really key states, key states that are up. Will you be playing at that level as well? We are. So we're um, we've been we're in Maine right now in the Maine governor's race. Um, we've been in Nevada in the governor's race there, and we're going to be helping uh, Andrew Gillum in Florida. Mm-hmm. 
is is um, the LePage running for re-election? He's not. He's um, not. Okay, but he's the worst. How sad! I know. I right? know. What a guy! He's... I'm going to be sad to not see <laughs> in office anymore. He's the worst governor in the country. We should he? send him a basket. It is really know? remarkable. <laughs> yeah. He's he's yeah no it, and you know Bill just to to connect also healthcare to some of the governor's yes. pieces yes I, I'm really glad you brought up the the state level because um uh, you know for <laughs> to the extent that we're talking about healthcare right you, you can't just be talking about the attacks on the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. there's also a real big part of the story here that's about Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. right and so you've actually got still a, a somewhat growing number of states fi- and some red states actually finally joining that list of states that have expanded Medicaid um. And you've got a number of states that where you've got Republican governors for ideological reasons still refusing to do it. We were talking about that census report earlier and what it tells us on health insurance. There was a huge finding out of that census report earlier this week connected to Medicaid expansion. And that's that when you look at states that have expanded Medicaid, the share of people who don't have health insurance is 6.5 percent, so actually less than the national average of 8.8 percent. Guess what it is in states that haven't expanded Mm. Medicaid? It's twice that. It's 12.2%. So just a reminder that policy choices matter and the importance of expanding Medicaid so that we can be getting more health insurance to more people. But that is such an important election issue mm-hmm. because having Democrats in governor seats and in a position to actually expand Medicaid in states that have been uh, controlled by Republicans and, and have been ideologically opposed to giving people health insurance, a huge, huge election issue as well. Just look mm-hmm. at Virginia as a perfect example for this uh, last year where because Ralph Northam was elected and because we made gains in the state house, Medicaid expansion passed and 400,000 Virginians now have health care who wouldn't have if Ed Gillespie had won or if we hadn't made gains at the legislative level. So these are these really matter. Governor's races you see impact faster. Congress doesn't do much, let's face it, right? We need, we mm-hmm. need to take the House. We need to try to win the Senate. But Congress doesn't get anything done right now. Yeah. Policy happens at the state level. And if we ignore that, it's not just redistricting, which matters a lot. It's what is happening right now in these states impacting real people, because that's where all of these horrible policies are actually being enacted. On, on so many issues, uh, climate change, another one I'm just thinking, this is, this is, I think, the last day or maybe an end of yesterday of, of uh, Governor Jerry Brown's climate change summit in San Francisco, you know, on health care, too. California and other states leading the way, That's saying, right. you know, these, this is the right thing to do. Uh, we don't care what Donald Trump tries to do. Right. You know, we're just barging ahead. You know? And um, uh, so those governor's races, and I guess, too, from a point of view of online digital advertising, you can get more for your buck at the governor's level than you can at a, at a national level, for sure. Right? Um, I mean, it's, I mean, it is, it's an efficient way to communicate, especially in expensive media markets. So if you are trying to talk to voters in sort of Northern Virginia, for instance, instead of buying Washington, D.C. TV, and you're speaking to oh. voters in Maryland and um, probably Delaware even, right, and a lot of other right. areas in D.C., you can just talk you to the voters target. you want to talk to. So that is certainly, and for us as an outside group, we would have to pay more for TV ads than a candidate would. We don't have to do that in digital. What other? So you're talking healthcare particularly. Mm-hmm. What other issues are you talking mm-hmm. uh, when you're reaching voters and and Rebecca, you too, in the in the midterms? Um, is Kavanaugh an issue? He's not find? really. Really, He's, it, it's. I wish the American people cared more about it. It, but it doesn't. It doesn't really seem to be an electoral issue right now. 
um, maybe if the other if these real imminent threats were not out there, um, then it would rank higher. But as of now, we're not seeing that being sort of a top issue. By the way, I wish somebody would tell um, Claire McCaskill, Joe Donnelly, uh, Joe Manchin, <laughs> Heidi Heitkamp, and there's one other there, I forget what, uh, who's in, John Tester, but I don't think we have to worry about John Tester. But this idea that they have to worry about how they vote on Kavanaugh on the, with their reelection, I think, is just bogus. Kavanaugh totally is the most bogus. unpopular nominee to the mm-hmm. Supreme Court since In, Robert Bork. Is that, yeah. If people yeah. remember who he was. Yeah. Um, so I think that tells you what people actually They could want. all vote against, and I hope they do, against Kavanaugh and survive. Safely. Very safely. They have the American people on their side. But it's interesting to hear you say that Kavanaugh isn't necessarily topping the list of what people are running on yet. I think there's probably a piece of this also that f- folks probably feel like it's premature, right? It's, it's not like he's yet been added to the bench, he, mm-hmm. th- there's debate going on. There's, you know, everyone's focused on maybe the hearings, and there is a lot of national momentum around trying to stop his nomination from being confirmed. But maybe it's not quite making the connection yet to that as an election issue. Maybe that changes if he actually, knock on wood, this doesn't happen, yep. gets confirmed. Well, yeah, people will certainly notice the moment Roe v. Wade is overturned, right? That's going to be there. Will be <laughs> yeah, people, I hope right? you don't have to wait till then. So but. that kind of thing will absolutely, you will get, people will notice that. But the, one of the other problems is the media doesn't cover this as like, here's what the impact of his positions are going to be. They cover it as, oh, this doesn't matter because Republicans have the votes. And so voters don't hear what is this mean How it's me? going to impact their lives. Yeah. Okay. How about the issue of impeachment? How much of that are you stressing? We're not. It's not coming up at all for us. Um, it's sort of, it's not happening right now. It's not uh, something that the majority of voters are focused on. What we're focusing on is how is this going to impact Do you think life? Democrats ought to be talking about it? I don't. I think there's a lot happening right now and a lot we need to investigate, and there could be a time down the road when that is what we should be doing. I think right now we need to win the House. Republicans aren't going to impeach this guy no matter what he does, right? So we need to focus on winning the House, winning the Senate. There's this ongoing investigation, um, which is Mueller clearly knows far more than any of us do. Let's see what he has to say, and then we can talk about this. But yeah. I think it's premature. You know, um, I just have a, a book out this week, right? Trump must go, <laughs> uh, if I may plug it again. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com, to find out where you can get a copy. Um, Trump must go, the top 100 reasons to dump Trump uh, and one to keep him. Uh, but, you That's know, this is one. not – this, too, is not a call to impeach Donald Trump. It's just he's got to go. I don't care how he goes. Yeah. He's convicted, he's impeached, he's run out of office. But the number one thing is, I agree with you, the number one step is Democrats take back the House in 2018, this year, November 6th. And then at least we've taken the first step to putting a big roadblock up in in front of Donald Trump. And we'll see what happens after that. But I I agree as much as I'd like to see him impeached. I don't think Democrats should be or have to go out, Rebecca, and talk about it right now because – Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I was going to say, Bill, you're really hiding the ball with the title there. I have no idea what the book is about. No, I know. <laughs> I want to know what the one thing is. It's pretty. Actually, s- that's true. I do want to, It does leave me wanting to know what the one thing is. Then you have to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> you 
I don't get a free copy for being in studio today, I'm I'm shocked. You buy it no and horrified. <laughs> All guests get a copy of Bill's new book. The low price of twenty five dollars. <laughs> no, but I, I think, I, but Bill, I think your I think your point is right, and I think I, I, and Josh very subtle well. title. I thought you know I, I like the you're high a subtle bit. guy, Bill. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's your it's your top quality. I would have named. Um, but no, but I, I think I think that's right. I mean, talking also about it, issues that feel immediate versus removed. Right? The concept mm-hmm. of yeah. impeachment, um, as much as uh, you know, Trump has us on the precipice of a constitutional crisis. Right? That's not something that people think of and go, oh, that's going to impact how I pay my bills or whether I'm going to be able to retire or whether I can send my kids to college or whether I'm going to have health care, right? Those are the kinds of things people are focused on and that we know uh, drive uh, decisions and elections. And so I think what you've been outlining, Josh, is exactly right in terms of where uh, Democrats can be can be hitting voters where it counts, and that's at the kitchen table. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and impeachment is not necessarily... There, there are things more important on their everyday plate, right? Maslow's that, hierarchy that, that, that of they're needs, dealing right? with. If yeah. you are worrying about how to pay your bills and what you do if you get sick, then impeachment's not something you're thinking about. Right. Uh, and house races, you're going to get to house races as well. We've we are. Those. We have sort of out of time, but at least they're on the they're on the absolutely. On the There's going to be a lot of them. Uh, we got to win the house. I think it's a, a real possibility. But if the way we don't is if we get complacent. There are last time I saw there were like it's sometime between sixty and a hundred house seats that are up for it play. It's a huge, huge playing field. Yeah, out of which Democrats have to win twenty three. So our chances look good. You can keep up with Josh and the Priorities USA at priorities.org, correct? Yep, priorities.org and with Rebecca at AmericanProgress.org. But the uh, off kilter is at off kilter show at off kilter show hey that's it folks have a great weekend this see you on monday the bill press show